0: Well, good morning. My name is Craig. I'm the senior pastor around here. Grab a phone, grab a pen, whichever you prefer to take notes with or keep track of something. If it's 1811 and you like quills, grab a quill. Whatever works for you. We've got a survey. Survey says. Now, let me just say a few things about surveys. I don't like surveys. Why are we doing this? I just want to, we're just trying something. I just want to see, according to your own words, how you experience this place. All right? And this is not like a customer satisfaction thing. Ugh. All right? We're not Walmart. All right? By the way, I, oh, no, that's, never mind. So here's what we're going to do. I get asked questions like, how should I fill out surveys? Okay? There's just one word, honestly. Okay? You're like, this is my first Sunday here. What? Did, did, just... What did you, don't worry about it, don't worry about it. Just ponder this, all right? But questions like, all right, you know like I, when I was in high school, I tried to work at Best Buy and someone told me like, oh, when you fill out the survey, like answer on the extremes, right? Don't answer in the middle. They don't hire people who answer in the middle. We're not trying to like be clever with this survey. Just we want you to, what, how do you experience this place? Okay, so how do you fill out the survey? You fill it out? Honestly, Honestly. okay, great. All right, so it's 10 questions. Ten questions. I know there are some anxious test takers in the room, and so don't worry. This is just between you and God, all right? So that means that a poker face is a really essential skill right now, okay? So don't... All right, just poker face. Here we go. Ten questions. And here's how it works. This survey is on a scale of zero to three, like most surveys, right? 0 is nope, never, mm-mm, that doesn't happen here. 1 is low. I can't say never. can't say never, so that's 1. 2 is occasionally. Yeah, that's occasionally true. 3 is often. Okay? So it's 0 to 3, 0 being never, 3 being often. I'll repeat each question twice. We ready? Woo! Here we go. Question number one, we speak about how this place has changed our lives for the better. We speak about how this place has changed our lives for the better. I'm new, I've never experienced this place. That's just, uh, imagine what you'd like to be true. Would, Would you like to go to a place like this? Question one. Question two. It is easy to find things to appreciate each Sunday here. It is easy to find things to appreciate each Sunday here. Three, I expect people will say kind things about my weakness here. I expect people will say kind things about my weakness here. Number four, we regularly become more joyful when we come here. We regularly become more joyful when we come here. Number five, when things are going wrong, I still feel peaceful here. When things are going wrong, I still feel peaceful here. Is that the rain? Is the A.C. breaking? It is kind of peaceful, right? When I see people who are hurting, I want to bring them here. When I see people who are hurting, man, Compass Church. It's where you need to be. Seven. I can interact with people who have more life experience than I have here. I can interact with people who have more life experience than I have here. Eight. What I am expected to do has value here. What I'm expected to do has value here. Number nine, what we do here has a positive effect on the people around us. What we do here has a positive effect on the people around us. Last and certainly not least, number 10, I feel understood here. I feel understood here. Remember, this is a very important time for you to work on your poker face. All right, add up your totals. <clears throat> Here's what just happened. Uh, one of my uh, extreme influences—he's just a, a person who's really shaped a lot of my perspective. His name's Jim Wilder. He is both a theologian and a psychologist. Uh, this is one of his joy surveys. You have just. I didn't hear the word joy in there. This is a survey all about joy. And the score that you have measures, is this a low joy environment or is this a high joy environment for you? And again, that prepositional phrase is clutch, for you. All right, your neighbor, you may be like, this is great. And you be like, this is awful. And we, we hold both those things as, yeah, that's one person's experience and this is another. All right, so We're going to look at, we're going to look at the results in just a second, and just keep in mind, these are not the last words for your life, okay? If you scored between 0 to 12, we are a failing church. Ouch. 13 to 22 means we're almost sustainable, and then when we get into the range of 23 to 30, we're starting to experience Healthy soil. Zero to twelve is a failing church. Now, I just have to say, when I I was like getting ready to compile this and present it, I found a temptation present within myself of, like, failing church? Like, do we have to say failing? That sounds kind of harsh. Like, maybe we could just say, like, room for improvement, right? But I had to recognize that own anxiety within myself of, like, hey, sometimes... The hardest thing to do is just to face reality. And if this is a place where you never feel understood here, you you have hurting people in your life, you're like keep them away from Compass Church. A healthy thing to do is say yeah like these are areas we're failing in and we need to face that. Again this isn't the last word in our lives, but why is this so important? Why, why do we care about the joy levels around here? Isn't joy just a nice addition to a, a regular life? Like, what, what, Why do we care about joy? The past four weeks, we just finished this series. We were talking about the mission of the church. What is it we're trying to do here? All right, we said we're trying to create space for people to discover Jesus and find their place in his story. We cannot do that if we're a low joy place. The mission of the church, discipleship, Seeing Christ formed in people we love, seeing people who are far from God be brought to God, seeing people grow in their relationship with God, we cannot do that if this, if this is a low joy environment. We just can't. Uh, a really good childhood friend of mine, we were talking last week, one of the best people in the world, and I know, we grew up, we grew up in church together, we got in a ton of trouble at this church, him, him more than me, but I know he's not going to church right now. And this is just a thing that happens when you're a pastor, Uh, like, people just give you their church stats, they find out you're a pastor, they're like, oh my gosh, I haven't been to church in like six years. Like, Amy and I, we were buying a crib once from somebody on Craigslist, and they were just like, what do you do? I'm like, I'm a pastor. Like, oh, we haven't been to church in three years. I'm like, I I wasn't going to tell, I just need a crib. But since you brought it up... And he, uh, he's like, man, you know, he's like kind of, kind of being phony with me. I can hear, it, like, yeah, you know, blah, 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 God. Well, tell me about that. And he goes, well, if I'm being honest, I stopped going to church. I don't go to church. I don't like church. Why? Church is full of hypocrites. Ow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Guilty. If we're going to create space for my friend, for your friends, for people to discover Jesus and find their place in his story, it is a top priority that we cultivate joy. That's not my priority, that's God's priority. I mean, joy, it it runs not just in the background of Scripture. It is front and center. It's essential. It is central to what it means to be a Christian. Joy. Think about just some of the things that the Bible says, right? You know, when uh, Jesus says in Matthew's Gospel that when we die, we hear things, Christians hear, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. John, who wrote his gospel, said, I write these things in order that your joy may be complete. The Old Testament prophets would say things like, The joy of the Lord is our strength. Joy is not this peripheral, like, Oh, it'd be nice if I get around to joy. Joy is rocket fuel for our transformation, joy is rocket fuel for our growth. You can't grow without joy. Do they still say the Pledge of Allegiance in school? Every day. All right, I have a teacher saying, every day. Do you know why we say the Pledge of Allegiance in schools every day? It's not because they're trying to just fill time with things. "Ah, You know, rote memory is a good thing. Let's just have these kids memorize this thing. They're trying to build a group identity. They're trying to build a group identity around. Who are we? So every day we're going to remind you who we are. We're people who believe in liberty and justice for all. All right, we're trying to build a group identity. You know what the equivalent of that uh, in the Hebrew Bible for the Israelites was? Their sort of pledge of allegiance? Every single day, the ironic blessing. Every single day, the priests were to say over them, the Lord bless you and keep you, and make his face shine on you. Having a face shine on someone is a Hebrew idiom to mean smile. Every day these people were going to hear the message, God is smiling over you to shape their identity. Joy is rocket fuel for transformation. Then the question becomes, well, how in the world do we cultivate joy? What is joy? What is it? How do we experience it? If it's so important for growth, what is it? How do we experience it? Part of the reason why we really struggle with just pursuing joy, experiencing joy, and understanding joy is because there's a lot of bad theology and bad ideas about what joy really is. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say, joy isn't happiness. It's like, yeah, that's true, but I don't really often hear that from very joyful or happy people, so it's confusing, right? They're like, joy isn't happiness, I know, because I'm not happy or joyful. It's like, okay, thank you. still don't really know what joy is, though. I'm going to ask for forgiveness in advance. You may have this on your wall. You may have this plastered somewhere, like in your bathroom. It may be at your grandmother's house. I, no judgment here, okay? I'm just... Asking for a little bit of grace here, all right? There is an idea floating out there, a definition of joy, that I do want to just ask are we open to another perspective on this definition of joy? Okay? And again, if this is very near and dear to you, just apologies in advance. But there's this old acronym about joy that we've used to define joy. And I just want to say, oh, that's not a recipe for joy. You may have heard it. J. Is for Jesus. O is for others. Y stands for yourself. So how do you experience joy? You put Jesus first, then you put others, then you focus on yourself. That sounds really good. It's very pious. I don't think about myself. I come last. I put Jesus first. And it spells joy. So it was like, man, this must be true. That is not a recipe for, for joy. That, that is a recipe for service, right? If we say, hey, I, w- I want to serve God before I serve others, and before I serve, yeah, that, that's fine. And, and service is a huge component of joy. Uh, huge. You're not going to be fully human and fully joyful if you're not serving others. Huge component. But this whole idea of like Jesus first, others, and then myself last, is, is not a recipe for joy. It's a recipe for Uh, misery. This like, hey, I'm not gonna worry about me, that very stoic, like, you know, I don't have needs. It sounds godly, but uh, news flash, you have needs, and just because you say you're not paying attention to them doesn't make those needs go away. That's sort of like taking a television that is on and putting it in a closet and then closing the closet and being like, all right, we're good. We're good. You guys, you can't hear that, right? You can't, you can't hear that, right? It's not the Bible's recipe for joy either. So how do we experience joy? How do we experience joy too? We live in low joy environments. Right? Like friends, people we used to be vulnerable with, people we used to share secrets with ghost us. You see them, you walk by them in a hallway and they see you and you see them And all of a sudden, the wall is super interesting to them. This is someone you were vulnerable with, and now they've moved away. That's low joy. How do you experience joy like that? How do you experience joy when your aging parents are not getting nicer? (laughs) It's like, man, like, I sure do love you, but I kill... Those, those are things that can really chip away at our own identity. Am I going to be like that? Is this my future? I mean, what does that say about all the past joys we had, that now they're, they're just so miserable? Or maybe you had to go to Mizzou because you didn't get into the college of your dreams. Kidding. <laughs> you ever been at a party, though, and you introduce yourself to someone, and you're like, hey, well, what do you do for work? Oh, I'm the content manager for Nike. No kidding, what do you do? Oh, I'm the brand ambassador for J. Crew. Whoa, what do you do? How do I say in a really impressive way, I'm a bank teller? When your hopes and dreams didn't get realized, it seems like everybody else is doing it right. See, we live in low joy environments. How can we be joyful people when life can be so disappointing? Fortunately, we have a guide. The book of Philippians was written in an incredibly low joy circumstance. Paul is in prison. I don't know if you have ever been in an American prison. I hope you never have to experience that firsthand. They're not nice places. Roman prisons, especially not nice places. And what's Paul there for? Well, you see, he was like a rock star in Judaism, but then he has this this experience on the Damascus road where he meets the resurrected savior. And it changes the trajectory of his life. And so he starts preaching Christ and his old community that he was once a rock star in now has rejected him. Talk about being ghosted by your friend. And now he's in jail for it. If anyone has an excuse to just air out some grievances, it's Paul. But what does he do instead with the book of Philippians? He uses it to spread joy. The the word joy or root forms of the word joy are used some like 30 times in this short book. Again and again and again. Paul, in circumstances not unfamiliar to ours, rejection, disappointment, shame, is able to cultivate joy. And he cultivates it by focusing on two things identity and belonging joy grows when we focus on our identity and belonging cuz what's joy it's really hard to define joy isn't it right? we talked about what it isn't but joy according to jim wilder is that sensation that that smile that comes to our face when people are glad to be with us joy is that glad to be together feeling Right, it's that. Oh my goodness! Someone's excited to see me, and I—it's I, relational. I see that. I feel that. That's what joy is. That's why this is crazy. In number six, when the priests were supposed to every day say over Israel, "The Lord bless you and keep you, make His face shine on you." What are they? What are they saying? God is a joyful God, and He's happy to be with us. That creates identity and belonging, and that is rocket fuel for our growth. If we're going to create space for people to discover Jesus and find their place in His story, we have to make joy our top priority. And joy is relational. Good night, isolation, people being alone. What if they had a place to come to where people were excited to be with them? Where they said, man, people are happy to be with me, and these are my people. That's what the church is supposed to be. We're supposed to be a training house for joy. That's what the book of Philippians is all about. Paul gives us a map of how we can, as people, experience joy. Regardless of what's happening around us, regardless of the disappointments we're facing, how can we experience joy? And we're going to focus, we're going to read a little bit of the book today. We're going to do what's called prolegomena. Prolegomena, just an overview of the book. We're going to try to see how this whole idea of like, yeah, Paul really is trying to give us a map for how we can be high joy people, how we can experience joy in all the places we find ourselves. So we're going, to, we're going to look at his prayer, his prayer for the Philippian church, and then we're going to see how this whole idea of identity and belonging, the two things we need to cultivate joy. We need to know who we are, how that's all throughout the book, and belonging, who are my people, how that's all throughout this book. But we're going to focus our attention this morning uh, on a verse where I just want to, I'm going to explain it before we read it, because we can very easily miss it. I'm not even going to tell you what it is, because I want you to look there. Here's, just hear me out for a second before we look there. Paul starts the letter to the Philippians saying, I'm praying for you. It says this literally, I rejoice, where joy comes in there, I rejoice, Before God, every time I remember you, making my prayers with joy. It's redundant. I rejoice with you with joy. Okay? So this church is a joy to Paul. And he's like, I'm praying for you every day. Well, what's he praying? Here's what he says. This is my prayer. A few verses later. you got to wait like three verses for it. He says, I'm praying for you every day. What's my prayer? Six verses. What's my prayer? That your love would abound in all knowledge... So that you'd be able to discern what is right. We read that verse backwards. We think, here's what's Paul's prayer for us, I pray that your knowledge would abound and then you'd love each other. Okay? That's not what Paul's saying. Paul says this, my prayer for you is that your love would grow, would multiply, and it would result in knowledge. Here's what Paul is saying about how we grow. It's not about what you know, it's about who you love. It's not about what you know, it's about who you love. And then he maps out what it looks like to be loved by Jesus. And it changes our identity, and it gives us a powerful sense of belonging. So if you have a Bible, please turn with me to Philippians chapter one. Philippians chapter one, we're going to be reading verses three through eleven. And again, we're not, we're not skipping the intro. We're definitely going to get there. This is just meant to be an overview of the book. And the heart of what Paul is saying is verse 9. But I want to give you some context around it. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to read this. After I'm done reading, let's pray. So, but when I finish reading, this is what I'll, say. I'll say, This is the word of the Lord. And you guys can say, Thanks be to God. Alright? We good? We good. God bless you. Here we go. Philippians 1, 3. I thank my God every time I remember you. Literally, I rejoice every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. It's right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. Whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer. That's six verses later. What's he, what's he trying to get to? That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. So that you may be able to discern what is best. And may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is the word of the Lord. Hey God, I just confess, it is so easy for me to lose sight of joy. It's easy to live in the tyranny of the urgent. It's easy to live in the shame of fearing what others would think of me. Father, I pray that you would help us to be a church community where joy becomes our highest priority and we learn and grow the skills to return to joy. I ask all these things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Returning to joy. You're like, well, I didn't really hear the word joy in there, in that prayer. Here's what Paul's talking about. Listen with me again. Here's what he says. I thank God. I rejoice. There's joy. I rejoice. Every time I remember you, in all my prayers for you, I always pray with joy. Then down to verse 7. It's right for me to feel this way. How does he feel? He feels joy about the Philippian church. It's right for me to feel this way about you because I have you in my heart. Hear the relational aspect of it? This is identity shaping. Like, well, pro- Paul probably feels this way about the Philippian church because everything was going well there. Not true. In verse 4, there's two people not getting along and Paul calls it out. This was not a perfect church. Like, well, they had something we don't, right? That's why they had so much joy. No. They had struggles. It was hard. And their leader's in jail. It was hard. And what's Paul's prayer in the midst of this? This is my prayer. That love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. See, we want that to say, we want that to say, just tell me what's up. Give me the facts. And then I'll make right choices. And then I'll experience transformation. That's not what Paul has in mind. That's not his recipe for growth. Listen to how the, the growth language that he has. He says this in verse 6. He says this, I'm confident that he who began a good work in you will carry it out to completion. Again, in verse 10, that you may be, I want your love to abound, that you may be able to discern what is best and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, being filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. He's talking about growth. We have, we have a bias toward progress. As people, if we're not experiencing progress, nothing can kill your joy faster. And Paul's saying, I want you to progress. I want you to mature. I want you to grow. That's what we say. That's how we use that language. We want people to find their place in his story. We want people to come in here and say, I didn't have a clue which way I was going. I met Jesus, and now I know who I am and where I'm headed. That's Paul's prayer for the Philippian church. How do they get there? Joy. And what's he saying about that? He says we start there. We start with a relationship. This identity, I pray that your love would grow and that it would result in knowledge. Look at it again. This is my prayer, that love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you'll know what's best. Love comes first. That is not how we Westerners after the Enlightenment think. But it's true, and all you need to do is find someone who is the opposite political party that you are and lay out the facts. That is an exercise in how to start an argument. you like, well, you know, there's, there's, there's truth, right, they you see it. They have their own facts. Maybe. Identity and belonging are more powerful and we see, we see the world through a filter. You would not want, have wanted to know me as a 21 year old man because a very key component of my identity was New England sports fan. And you're, you guys are not wincing because you may have not met many New England sports fans. It is an obnoxious fan base. I, mean, I remember growing up going to Fenway Park and watching Red Sox fans fight each other just because. All right? It is just a gnarly place. All right? It was just wild. I remember, I remember I'm sitting with season ticket holders at, uh, at Gillette Stadium. Uh, we're watching Tom Brady in his glory days, and a dude falls on us, and the guy beside me is talking to me normally, and he just starts punching the guy, like hard. Bang, bang. I'm like, what are you doing? And he's like, oh, I just sit with all these guys all the time, so I got to kind of you know, join in on this stuff. I'm like, that's crazy! Right? What's happening? It's not fact-based. It's identity-based. This is who we are and this is what we do. We don't just like the Patriots, we hate everybody else. We don't just love the Red Sox, we hate the Yankees. That's just who we are and what we do. I didn't do this because I didn't want to get run out of town, but if I were to put a blue picture on the background with a little bird in it and say, this is just beautiful design. I just love how this Jayhawk, just, just looking so victorious and strong and powerful. You would get feelings about me. You're not thinking about, that. well, yeah, that actually is kind of a good design. No, that's gone out the window because of identity. Identity is so powerful. This is who I am. These are my people. Listen to how Paul talks about who we are and who are our people. He says this. It is right, verse 7, for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. It's right for me to have joy. I've got you in my heart. And then he goes on. This gets crazy. Whew, he says this. He says, uh, I, whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. Who are we together? We are recipients of grace. Here's what's amazing about the word grace. Okay, I want this half of the room. Just try this with me. All right, this half of the room say the word Kara. Kara. Okay, great. Kara. Okay? This half of the room say the word Karis. Okay, ready? Karis. Okay? Karis. Great. On the count of three, you guys say Kara, you guys say Karis. Okay? You guys say whatever you want. Okay? Ready? One, two, three. Caris. All right, do you guys hear how similar those words are? The word kara is a Greek word for joy and the word charis is the Greek word for grace. Bauer's lexicon, which is the definitive lexicon of the Greek New Testament, says this. In the first century, the words joy and grace, virtually indistinguishable. What does it mean? If we are recipients of grace, that means we have God's unmerited favor. To have grace is to have favor. To be a recipient of grace means we have favor. If you favor something, you like it. What it means to receive grace is to receive God's pleasure. He likes you. He delights in you. You're like, what about sin? Right? Like, I do bad things. Doesn't that, like, kind of negate God's delight? Look with me. One of the things... Look with me in verse 11. You just... If that's your question, here we go. Verse 11. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ. Okay. Through Christ is the prepositional phrase used, but he's already used it twice earlier in the chapter. In Christ. It's one of Paul's fra- favorite two words to use. In Christ. We complicate things around here so much. All right? What does it mean to be in Christ? Uh, all right, let me just illustrate to you really simply. We've done this before. We're going to do it again because we've got to get it in our bones. What does it mean to be in Christ? Where are we right now? Church, sanctuary. We're in a sanctuary, okay? You are in a sanctuary. I am now not in a sanctuary. I am out of the sanctuary. Hey, shepherd. Uh, so when I look at you, I don't see you. I see the sanctuary, Because you're in the sanctuary. I can't see any of you. I see a pale blue wall. What color is this? Pale blue. Because you're in the sanctuary. That's what it means to be in Christ. When God looks at you, who does he see? Jesus. What does he think about Jesus? Does he like him? Well, he introduced him to the world as, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now we're starting to make sense of some of the messages of the Bible. The joy of the Lord is our strength. What if God rescued us to be with Him? He actually likes being with us. What if if the relationship creates joy? And what if that's what it's all about? Joy is rocket fuel for growth. And we all gravitate toward joy. We do. The reason we got to prioritize joy is because if we find ourselves in low joy environments, we're always going to be sneaking out to find more joy. It's the same thing that's attached to why people garden too much, why people drink too much, and why people watch too much YouTube. It's all the same thing. We're hunting for joy. You're like a shark. If you stop moving, you die. We crave joy, and if we're in low joy environments, we're gonna go where the joy is. And for some of us, that joy is in hiding. And it doesn't last long. That's why it is crucial that you hear Paul say, this church had problems. Just look at chapter 4. He gets into some of those problems, but he starts with joy because that's how people transform. That's, that's, that is, that is just the rocket fuel in your own transformation. Joy. And if we don't prioritize joy, the enemy of joy sneaks in shame. Joy and shame work against each other. Where joy is high, shame is low, and when shame gets high, joy goes down. Joy and shame work against each other. Shame is anti-joy. When we find ourselves in low joy environments, we motivate ourselves and others through shame. That's not how Paul works. That's not how he works at all. He reminds the Philippian church who they are. Then all the way in chapter 4, look at what he says when he finally starts to address some of the problems. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, brothers and sisters, what's that? Identity and belonging. Whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. Stand firm in the Lord. Dear friends, I plead with Udia and I play with. Be of the same mind in the Lord. You hear that? It starts with identity and then gets to now we can talk about problems. Prioritizing joy does not mean we bury problems. No, no, no. But it does mean we participate in healthy correction. And that's what we start to see Paul doing. And Paul is, make no mistake, Paul is trying to get at the Philippians' identity. Philippi, you may know, was named after Alexander the Great's dad, Philip. It was a Greek colony, and then it got taken over by Romans, and then it essentially became the Florida of the Roman world. Retired soldiers would settle there, and it was a center of economic prosperity, right? It's the Florida of the Roman world. What happened, though, was the residents of Philippi were granted honorary Roman citizenship. They didn't deserve to be Roman citizens, but they were granted Roman citizenship. And they were very proud of their Roman citizenship. How does Paul get at their identity? Philippians 3.20 But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. It was good to be a Roman. Better to be a Roman than other things. You had rights and privileges that came with the Roman Empire. What's Paul saying? It's not who we are. Our citizenship is in heaven. It's good to be an American. It's good to be a Republican. It's good to be a Democrat. It's good to be an Independent. What do you think Paul would say, though, to the American church? When we make those things our identity, we jump on the gas pedal to a cul-de-sac to nowhere. And Paul is saying the truest thing about us is not our political party. It's not even the fact that we're Americans. I like being an American. Amy, after seminary, we, and I, we traveled through Southeast Asia And I am not, there's no place like home. I was crying when I came back. And I love travel, all right? Not saying it's bad to be an American, but it's not our identity. And part of the problem today is that church leaders, instead of confronting this, are putting wood on the fire. They're just finding, what what side are the people in my church? Well, I'll just say what they wanna hear. That's not how Paul did this. Paul said, let's get an identity. Who are we? We're not Romans. We are disciples of Jesus, and we're waiting for him. And, and that, that's kind of the whole, that's the whole thing. Look at what he says in, in verse 9 again. He says, this, I pray that your love would abound. That's the problem with these false identities. Not a lot of Love. That's part of the reason we live in low joy environments, is because these things that we move to the center, that we say, this is who I am, those cannot create joy. They can spark joy, but it won't be a lasting joy. Paul echoes Jesus, he says this, I pray that your love would abound. What does Jesus say? John 15, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. That's what Paul's saying. It's not about what we know, it's about who we love. As a pastor, I oftentimes have the privilege of sitting with people in crisis. And after I've heard their story, tried to just mirror, man, that's hard that. After we've done that, I ask a question, and it's my favorite thing to ask people because it's, it's wild, some of the things I hear. But I say, and who are you? It's a weird question, right? They're not expecting it. Who is Justin? Who is Regina? I was sitting with a guy, we'll call him Tyler. Tyler was stupid rich. I don't think I've ever met a rich, somebody as rich as him, like before or after. Crazy rich, like scary rich. And Tyler was in crisis. In Arizona, his family ran this um, property management company. It was humongous. And they were crazy rich and he was very good at it. And his dad started the business and Tyler, it became clear as we met. At first, I thought he was joking. He said he had an eighth grade education. And he was a really sharp guy. Like, that can't be true. And he, because and he was like my age. I was like, no, people in like the 40s didn't go to school. Like in the 80s, what? But he stopped going to school around eighth grade so he could help his dad with his business. And they made a ton of money. And then his sister and sister's husband tried to force him out of the business. And they got in their dad's ear They started planting these things about Tyler. And now all of a sudden, Tyler's pushed out of the family business. Well, no worries. He's got a crazy skill set and he's able to go. Everywhere he went in Arizona, they're like, what's your last name? Oh, no, no, no. We can't work with you. He had to move states. Talk about shame. Who am I? Everywhere I go, people don't like me. So I ask him. Who is Tyler? What does he say? I don't know. That's the most common answer to that question I get. Who are you? I don't know. I don't know. I used to be my dad's favorite. I used to be my dad's partner. I used to be well-loved in this community. I used to be really successful. And I just don't know who I am. What often happens in low joy environments is shame rises and creeps in, and in order to medicate with that, Tyler, his preferred drug was porn. That's what originally got us together. And he was crazy stupid. I bought him coffee once, and to thank me, he bought me like a several hundred dollar Greek New Testament. Like, I was like, where did you, did you, who, how did, where did you even get this? And he's like, oh, do you not like it? I'll get you an even better one. I'm like, what's happening? Like, wh- who are you? And now he has no idea who he is. Talk about being ghosted. He's ghosted by his family. Talk about expectations. What do you do? I, I don't know. I used, to, I used to, now I don't. And shame creeps in. And when shame creeps in, we want to medicate with joy. The alcoholic, the Instagram addict the porn addict they're just seeking joy people who people who darken brothels that's all they want they just want joy and if we as the people of god don't make that our priority Everyone's, if we don't take joy seriously, say, hey, like you're seeking joy in these things, and it's, it's going to provide a respite, but that's going to leave you. But here's a joy, what Jesus said about his joy. He said this to the woman of the Samaritan well. He said, those who drink from this water won't ever thirst again. You want to test him and see if that's true? Come drink. I want you to experience a joy that won't let you down. We have to make this our priority. Or my friend who said Christians are full of hypocrites, it's just going to be true because we're going to gravitate toward joy. We're going to gravitate to where we belong. That's why it's so important that we answer questions like this. We regularly become more joyful when we're here. I feel understood here. If you don't feel understood here, you're going to hide. You're going to be, well, this is who these people are. They're New England sports fans. They just yell at people. I'll just yell at people because this is what we do. Transformation happens when we know who we are and who are our people. And what is Paul? What's the picture he's painting? Therefore, brothers and sisters, family, people who love each other, new family, when families may have disappointed, family who I love and long for. I like being with you. My joy and my crown I don't hide you, I wear you like a badge of honor. Stand firm in the Lord. That's the invitation. It matters. We can't create space for people to discover Jesus and find their place in his story if we don't prioritize joy. We will be a failing church. So how do we start doing that? How do we, how do we do that? it, whatever you answered on this, this inventory, if you were like, oh, I'm like a 6, or, you know, I'm like a tw- I am scored a 22, but like, I changed one of my lows to, uh, frequent, you know, to sometimes, so I'm in the 23 zone, right? This is not the last word on your life. This is not your identity. We're going to take this again at the end of the series, because I want to look back and say, like, hey, here's where we started, and here's where we landed. And what you're going to find is you can actually cultivate the skills to grow joy. You can actually, returning to joy is a skill we can learn and grow in. We're not stuck. That's not who we are. We can always learn to return to joy. A couple, I think it was Christmas, right Molly? The, the joy, the joy of, wait, a misfits guide to joy. That was Christmas. Thank you, Molly. Uh, so uh, last Christmas, we tried to do this thing, and it was uber complicated. We're like, hey, here's this like daily meditation for how we can like make our default emotional position joy. And I tried to explain it, and it was met with just like, what's happening? One person did it, uh, and I did it. And then I secretly just started doing it every day. And it's been a life changer. It's actually taught me like, oh man, not only can I experience joy, I can look for joy. I can find joy. In I can ha- Life changer. So we're gonna try to simplify it and practice it together. Here's the simplified version of this joy meditation. In four easy steps, okay? You guys with me, we're ready? Step one for this joy meditation. How we can learn to cultivate and grow joy in these low joy, disappointing areas. Step one, find five minutes. Five minutes. You have five minutes. Alright, you're not Serena Williams. You're not Tim Cook. You got five minutes. Alright? They have five minutes. Find five minutes. Step one. Alright? Once you've found your five minutes, what do we do? Remember a time when you experienced joy. So first, just set aside five minutes. Then remember a time when you experienced joy. Before the first service I was talking to someone who they were visiting with their granddaughter, very young granddaughter, and their very young granddaughter for the first time said, Papa? And all the grandparents said, oh, that's joy. That's joy right there. Remember a time you felt joy. For me, I have lots of these joy experiences. Some of them are like when I, the, on my wedding day when I first saw Amy, woo, that was a, joy, a high joy experience. Some of them were when I had COVID and I'm really sick and delusional, and this little arm pats me and it's jet. And he goes, Dad, are you feeling okay? Can I get you anything? Right? Hot. What's a time you felt joy? So, what about you? Five minutes. Then find a time you felt joy. Step three where did you feel it in your body? That's important. Was it in your heart? Was it in your chest? It was like, oh, yeah. Was it in your gut? Was it on your face? Did you smile? Where did you feel it in your body? We, We have bodies and it's not by mistake. What we do with our bodies matters, all right? What's the difference between the world's biggest Mets fan and the world's best Mets player? One of those two went to baseball practice. They took their body and they went to the field. The other one just watched, all right? What we do with our bodies matters, okay? So where did you feel it in your body? What did it feel like? So we're gonna find five minutes Remember a time we felt joyful where did we feel it in our body and then fourth what does that tell us about God You're like what that moment of joy whether it was a grand a grandchild saying your name for the first time a reunion with a loved one whatever that joy moment was what does that what does that say about God Right? Or or if you want me to put it like how Jesus said it, if you being evil know how to give your kids good gifts, how much more does your heavenly Father know what you need before you ask? What does this experience tell me about God? Well, if I delight in my kids like this, how much more does the Father delight in me? If I experience joy at this, how much more is God experiencing joy with me. And as we start to do that, you find this experience happens. You first find you're really skeptical about joy. Mmm, it doesn't feel this is. And all of a sudden, you start to see joy everywhere. And you start to understand, oh, that's what the Old Testament prophets meant when they said the joy of the Lord is our strength. That's what it meant when the writer of Hebrews said that Jesus endured the shame for the joy set before him. This is what they're talking about. That's what Jesus meant when he said the kingdom of heaven is like a pearl of great price that somebody sold everything they had to go get it. You're like just sitting in a church with people I don't really like, singing songs I don't really know, that doesn't feel like a pearl of great price. I get it now. This is what this is all about. And we've, then, when life disappoints, the message of shame gets harder and harder to penetrate a joy filled heart. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to take this survey again at the end, but we're going to talk about Philippians, how it is a map. It's a map for people, for those of us to experience joy in disappointing situations. And what we find is the gospel. Joy is at the heart of the gospel, the heart of the good news of the Christian message. As a church family, we want to really be intentional and remember that good news. So you may have noticed we started taking communion more often. I think this may be like the third week in a row we've taken it. And that may make, like, some of us grew up in traditions where like w- once a month, some of us grew up in traditions every week. We're all, we're, wherever you grew up, we're all challenging all of our traditions. But what we're just trying, just like the joy meditation can rewire our brains and rewire how we see the world, we're saying, like, how can this experience of communion rewire how we experience things? How, how can we hear a message and then respond by communing with Jesus? A God who came, took on flesh, dwelt with us, and then what it says about him what it says that he's the one He's before Abraham was I am, that means he's the one in the Old Testament saying the Lord bless you, the Lord keep you and make his face shine on you that is the same one we celebrate he spilled his body, broke it spilled his blood, poured out his body for us this podcast is part of the ministry of Compass Church in Columbia, Missouri for more information please check out compasscfc.com